Hey, Hotel Tech Insiders, I'm Jordan Hollander, and welcome to our Industry Leader Interview Series. Today on the show, we have Charlie Osmond. Charlie is the founder and CEO of Triptease, a company that helps hotels drive direct bookings through better digital experiences for guests. Charlie's work with his previous business, Fresh Minds, earned him Esquire's prestigious Entrepreneur of the Year Award, and he was recently named one of the industry's top 25 minds by the Hotel Sales and Marketing Association. Triptease is one of the fastest-growing companies in the industry with over 12,000 hotel customers worldwide. The company is also regarded as one of the best places to work and travel. Charlie recently closed his $9 million Series B. I'm thankful that he's here with us today. Charlie, could you start by telling us a little about your journey into the world of hotel technology? Hi. So, yes, I um, straight out of university started my first business, and I did that then for another, I think, 10 or 12 years. And so I was coming to the end of that and feeling, uh, thinking about, well, what is it I want to do next? Which industry would I like to be in for the next decade? And I guess that's worth pointing out because I think a lot of people don't always realize how long it takes from startup to successful business. But in my mind, definitely it's worth thinking about decades of your career if you're doing a startup. So I thought, well, actually, the place I'd really like to spend time is um, online travel. And the reason for that was that it was the biggest market on the internet, right? It's a huge market. And I think as an entrepreneur, you need to go after big markets um, if you want to create a large business. Um, And also because when I thought about my life and the thing, the single thing that upset me most um, throughout the year, the single biggest pain and frustration, it was always when I was booking our family holiday. I, I could never quite understand how, you know, a one week holiday would take me seemingly three or four weekends worth of effort in looking, assessing, choosing, then getting input from my wife um, and before eventually booking the damn thing. And it hurt me so much, that experience, that I just thought, how can it be that this this massive market online is still so painful to navigate? There just have to be opportunities here to um, uh, to make a difference. So, yeah, that was really, that's what kicked me off. I think that's something that really a lot of people can relate to. It's incredible that with all the tools out there today, we're still not able to book travel seamlessly. Could you give us the elevator pitch for Triptease? Triptease today is a technology company that is focused on helping hotels drive direct bookings um, and improve the guest experience on the website. So really everything we do is about optimizing the current website, the current booking engine the hotel has, um, and making it a better guest experience and increasing bookings as a result. Yeah, I've seen the product and I'm a huge fan of what you guys are doing. And it's incredible the impact you've been able to have on your hotel customers with such a simple and scalable product. I think one of the really interesting parts of your business is that you've created a really fun and engaging brand for something that's somewhat of a niche and technical product. Could you tell us a little bit about what the Triptease brand means to you and how that's played into your success? Um, it's a really interesting one. So uh, it's funny because we, we started the business as a sort of consumer-facing um, brand. And Triptease was actually trying to get across uh, the way in which people could share their great travel experiences and tease others about their trips. So it was a, there was a very good reason for why the name is as it is. Um, and also the other reason why the name is Triptease is because it's a little playful and I uh, wanted something that would stick in people's minds. Um, the, the, when we shifted to becoming focused on really the brand is targeting hoteliers and hoteliers are our customers, uh, we did, uh, one of our investors was actually quite keen that we changed the brand name. Um, but, but we stuck with it. And I think the reason is because it is seen as playful. 
And um, yeah, maybe maybe one percent of people really hate it or really dislike it. But I think it's it's far better that a brand drives emotion. Um, and if that means that some people don't like it, but others really do love it, then then I'm all for it. I guess I've, I've, there's a there's a great investor, a great VC in Silicon Valley who uh, runs a, a firm called 500 Startups. And I think his advice on branding is um, do crazy stuff because your startup's probably going to fail anyway. And I guess we see our name as just one little bit of um, a little bit of fun we can have. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think a lot of times with the ups and downs of the startup roller coaster, it can be difficult to have fun. So it's great that you guys were able to find a way to bring that into your day to day. Speaking of those kind of that, that early period and that roller coaster and those pivots, can you talk a little bit about your first 18 months and what that felt like from the human experience? Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a horrendous time. Our first eighteen months, horrendous, but also fabulous. It was two extreme emotions, and the thing that surprised me the most was how many different times in one day it was possible to oscillate between disaster and success, um, excitement and misery, um, and and really that was it. I would say it was eighteen months of a roller coaster ride where uh, one day um, you might think, oh, we've had this great new idea for distribution, or we've had this great result where we've got someone who really is excited about what we're doing. Um, and then later that same day or, or you know, later that week, uh, something disastrous would happen and what you expected or what you thought or what you believed, it turned out wasn't true. Uh, or you found another competitor that was doing something or had tried the same thing and had failed, um, which was actually worse than a competitor doing well in many ways. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, it was just it was a roller coaster. And then at the same time as the business, um, I guess, fortunes and potential going up and down, um, you, you also would have the, the finances of the company. So, I mean, from a personal point of view, we had to sell our house. We had to move the company into our basement um, in a, a, a place we rented to save money on um, rent, uh, which meant my sort of wife and kids coming back into the coming home in the afternoons and finding, um, you know, computers and people strewn across the house doing their work. So there were some definitely stressful moments. But uh, at the same time, all of that stress was so rewarding and so much fun. And it's a great feeling when you're literally building um, a business on your um, dining room table. It's It just feels, uh, it, I guess, it imbues the company with a special culture. And having gone through some of those hardships together, um, the core team who was there at the beginning, I think, uh, you know, we're, we're connected for life, really. And so um, it was hard, but it was also really rewarding. That's really an incredible story and such an example to set for entrepreneurs going through some of the trials and tribulations at this stage. I want to start talking a little bit more about some of those tribulations that you had. In 2015, you woke up one day to a letter from Booking.com alleging that you had been unlawfully using their data. Can you tell me what that felt like? I can only imagine how I would feel in that situation. Yeah, well, I described we went through a few ups and downs before we ever got there. Um, so I, I guess the roller coaster of emotions I was quite used to. Um, it was it was not a great day, I have to admit. Um, when a I think at the time, sixty four billion dollar business tells you that they want to take you out of business, um, and they write to all your customers and tell you that they're going to sue you and sue your customers. Uh, and so it was, yeah, quite quite worrying. But at the same time, I'm an eternal optimist, and I look at every challenge as an opportunity and you know immediately i was thinking well this is good we've been we've been starting to see other companies try to copy us um this 
this uh, threat is also going to be an issue for them. And when we resolve how to get through this, um, it's going to be hard for the next people trying to follow us. So, you know, every hurdle is an obstacle for your future copycat competitors right so so i so there were worries and there were concerns but at the same time it was like okay how can we turn this to our advantage and um we spent a fair bit of time i gotta say um talking to lawyers uh that that was important and um and we also you know thought about as you should always do in every situation uh what are the what are the opportunities you've got in your um arsenal that uh you can kind of use and I guess in one sense, the um, PR was one side of that. Actually, we we were just kind of deciding about how do we talk about this, and then somebody else leaked the letter, leaked a letter to one of the hotels to um, the press. So it kind of hit the press um, before we had quite decided how we were going to respond. Um, and then once it had done that, we we just thought, well, then we, in which case we have to be, we've got to be talking about this. It's it can be slightly harder as a large company in a dispute to give a clear opinion to every question from a journalist but as a small company the one advantage we've got is i'm making decisions and i can you know immediately give my opinion without having to uh, confer with lots of other stakeholders internally so we kind of felt this is this has got to be our opportunity then um the this issue has blown up in the press let's make sure that we're open and available to talk about viewpoint right yeah i can i can completely understand booking trying to protect their lunch but at the same time i think it's such a testament to what you guys have done the the really kind of judo philosophy of using the weight of your opponent against them obviously really played out in your favor speaking of booking.com i have seen a lot of otas moving into the service business and even heard an xpd executive talk about seeing himself as a service business rather than a distribution play uh, you kind of see the investment into Alice from Expedia and Priceline into Boutique and Hotel Ninjas. Can you talk a little bit about what you're seeing in terms of OTAs moving into the direct booking space and services? Uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's fascinating uh, seeing the OTAs get more into direct bookings. I think that um, it, they, they were sort of important strategic investments um, for the OTAs to make because uh, it's one way if if for example consumer opinion or whatever was to shift dramatically towards booking direct um then that could be a real challenge to um ota so it's important that they sort of spread their bets and they get involved um i think also actually it's just it's it's a really smart move on the ota's part um again so much of the value that um the otas are bringing to the market is tied up in their um ability to analyze data on behavior and so with Priceline owning booking suite um, and therefore managing and running thousands of hotel websites. Uh, again, there's just that's just more information, more data that they're able to use. So I, I think they just they see it as a natural sort of extension of what they're doing. Um, I think there is a there's again there's a definite risk, right? The the risk is that if you're a small hotelier and you've got therefore very very little power um, in the big scale of things, um, and your website and your booking engine is provided to you by one of the OTAs and your central reservation system is provided to you by one of the OTAs, their ability to then, um, for example, get you to only display um, availability or to make sure they you display more availability or always have last room availability on their site goes up, right? Their, their, the power dynamic shifts even further in their favor. There are plenty of hotels that will say, Booking.com is just one of the best run websites on the internet. If those guys are also going to build my website, um, I'd be a fool um, to let anyone else do it because probably it will convert at a higher rate. 
I, I don't know that that's right, um, but uh, that's certainly you know the other side of the argument. Right. As with anything, there are trade-offs on both sides, and really just kind of uh, choosing what risk you're willing to accept as a hotelier is is the main point here. So when you look at at the OTAs and Priceline and Expedia specifically, you just see massive, massive market capitalizations. Uh, but at the same time, uh, David Temple, who is a member of Hotel Tech Insider and the founder of Hello Scout, kind of points out that VC in the industry is really difficult. The industry doesn't have high enough margins to support a strong SaaS business. What's your take on that? One of the things that the OTAs have done without question, right, particularly if you compare car hire or you compare airline fees, the commissions that the OTAs are managing to command from the hotels are incredibly high. And that's, you know, that's why the margin that the OTAs are getting is massive. So the idea that there isn't, um, there isn't a big enough market, if you're shifting people to direct, um, is just, it's just not an issue, right? Um, Priceline is one of the biggest markets, one of the biggest, big, biggest digital businesses globally, full stop. Um, and they're, they are that size and they are that scale because of the margins that they are, they, the commissions they're charging. Right. So it makes sense that it really depends on where you play into the value chain and which part of the P&L you're going after with your product or service and where you want to move the needle, whether it's increasing revenue or decreasing costs and, and really looking at that on a more granular level. Um, I wanted to switch gears a little bit and go to a question from Euclides Major, who is the founder and CEO of Guestu. Euclides is really curious about what your day-to-day looks like. I know since you've hired your brother, your leadership philosophy has changed. Can you talk about kind of what you were doing as the business started and how that's changed today? I think I might have hesitated to talk about hiring my brother in the past, but actually it was one of the best things I ever did. Uh, so I'm quite proud of it. Um, and my brother, who'd been running um, another business um, very successfully, which he sold um, before this one, he had a very clear, uh, I guess, view that what the business needed now as we were going through a new stage of growth was to hire a, a senior management team and that really all the decisions were going to be made by the senior management team, not by me, the chief tease. And um, he was pretty adamant about it. And uh, that was that really did lead to a shift of yeah, hiring a, a more experienced, more senior team internally um, and me moving from trying to be involved in every decision to not being able to be involved in, you know, even five percent of them because there's just so much going on now the team's expanded and i'm overseas when you see other people in the business going ahead and making decisions that i guess you wouldn't have and then you see that they were right and they were successful and great decisions then you think okay this is so much better the company is so much better for it but i think now answering the question of what do i do day to day i'm I'm often diving in and it's deciding what are the specific projects or the specific things that are going on today or specific customers who need help where it's appropriate and it's right for me to really dive in. Because, yeah, now I think about my role as being, what are the things that uniquely I can do? And one of the things I can do uniquely as the, the chief tease is I can shine a light very brightly on um, specific issues that I think exist within the company or that may exist. That's a great point. And I know Steve Jobs used to say that you hire smart people to do smart things. And it seems like that's really working for you at Trip Tease. And I know in the past you've talked about shining that spotlight on company culture. And Estella Hale, who's the VP of product at Scepter Hospitality and also a hotel tech insider, wanted to know how you've been able to maintain the company culture as you've had such rapid growth. 
when I think about small businesses and, you know, our goal is to hire amazing people and keep them motivated and excited and within the business. The, there are so many things that big companies can do, you know, uh, that we can't. For example, we don't fly people in anything other than economy. And so I always think, well, what are the things we can do as a small business that's harder for a big company? And one of the things is we can be completely transparent. Because and also we're going through a great journey as a as a startup. We've been growing quite quickly. And so we kind of feel it's our duty to educate everyone on here's everything we're learning about how to grow a fast moving business. And hopefully those are things that will inspire them all to start their own companies in the future. Right. And that's definitely something that I think is lacking in a lot of corporate culture today. It's kind of hitting the uh, top piece of Maslow's hierarchy and that self-actualization and really empowering employees and making them feel valued. So I think that's an incredible retention tool and a great way to really build that corporate culture. The next question comes from Sean Carter. Sean is the director of operations at Bisley, a very successful New York-based startup that helps hotels and other businesses rent out meeting space via their online platform. So coming from a little bit outside of the industry, Sean was curious as to how you tackled some of the scaling issues. Because as he points out, hotels can be slow to adopt new technology, um, and not wrongfully so. It's more because new technology can disrupt existing processes. So what do you think was the key for you to drive such rapid adoption? Maybe some of the, the smarter tricks we've done to try and identify earlier adopters is actually look at the technology they've got. So there are you know, lots of hotels on lots of different booking engines, for example. We, we believe there are some, but they're a bit more, um, uh, they're, they're a bit more sort of up to date. And therefore, we look for hotels with those booking engines because we know that if a hotel is working with this, with this bit of software, then that hotelier is probably a bit smarter about their business and they're more prepared to try new things. And so you can look for indicators like that that suggest that this is a dynamic organization that wants to try things first. Yeah, Sean, I think Charlie brings up a really interesting perspective here in that you might not want to think about your target customer as a specific type of hotel by their rooms or their chain scale, but even going deeper than that and understanding the kind of behavioral traits of the actual buyers and adopters of your product could be an interesting angle to approach. And so, Charlie, the last question uh, before we head into the speed round comes from Erlinga Johnson, who is the CTO of Tordesk. And he really wants to understand what your most effective channel or tactic has been to scale your business to date. It was always the most effective tool in my last business. I think SaaS, the SaaS industry in general, is one that has grown very quickly through inside sales. So that's people sitting in, inside the company, as it were, not, not leaving their desks and phoning up prospects. That's been, that's been our number one. All right. So we are almost out of time, and I want to head into a few questions in our speed round. Uh, what is the worst piece of advice you've received since founding Triptease? Um, so uh, I said we would, we built the digital postcard products. Uh, we'd managed to get um, the investors to back us and give us a million pounds. And a month later, we went back to them and said, thanks for the money. We've just decided we think that there's actually a much better product called Price Check that we want to do. And the investors said, the investors said look, we've just given you a million pounds. Please use it to work on digital postcards because that's what we agreed. Um, and so they said, carry on with what we're doing. And a month later, I went back and said, I ignored you. And um, we're, we're going to build price check instead. It's going to be a lot better. That is incredible. I am sure that they're thankful you did not regard their advice today. <laughs> uh, next question is, if you could form a partnership with any travel company, who would it be and why? 
Well, you just got to think big, right? So, um, I mean, Google is the is probably the single organization that works the most hotels. Um, Google Analytics, I think, is really fascinating because it's probably the one bit of code that's on more hotel websites than any other. Um, and yet I feel that at the moment, um, because it's generic tool, hotels get very little, often get little value from it because they don't set it up properly. So I'd love to find a way to work with Google. And last one here, Charlie. Who is the single most interesting person you've met in this industry? Steve Rubin um, at Denehan. He is, every time I meet him, I learn a whole bunch of new things. And I often have to get him to repeat them a couple of times because I'm not fast enough to keep up with his brain. Um, Yeah, he's fabulous. Charlie, it's been an absolute pleasure. And that concludes our show. Thank you again for taking the time out of your busy schedule, traveling between New York and London and all around the world to speak with us today. I know everyone in the group will appreciate your perspective and love to hear your story. So thank you. Great. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening and stay tuned for next week where we'll be having Roy Alpert, the founder of Freehand Hotels, joining us. Roy is widely regarded as one of the creators of the luxury hostling movement. He's a technology enthusiast and has been a maven and early adopter for some pretty incredible products. He's a very active angel investor in the hotel technology space, so we're excited to have him. Free time is-